Welcome to the KBB Review Podcast. I'm Andy Davis, and this is episode eight of season eight. Today, we're talking stone. It's a material that's so common in premium kitchens and bathrooms sometimes too, of course, especially in the form of engineered quartz. So we're going to ask two really important questions today. Firstly, do designers and retailers really understand how to use stone, the properties that different types have, and how it should be installed and maintained? And secondly, we're going to look at the dangers of fabricating stone in the form of silicosis, a horrible lung disease caused by breathing in the silica dust created when it's being cut. Now, clearly, that's been around as long as people have been cutting stone. But even in 2023, it can be controversial. And that's particularly true in Australia, where early this year, the government got another step closer to banning engineered stone because of an alarming rise in cases of silicosis among stonemasons and fabricators. In fact, silicosis has been called a public health crisis in that country. However, those that make it and those that are involved in the professional fabrication of it have said that all the safety precautions available are more than sufficient. And the issue is about whether or not they are followed, not whether the material itself is intrinsically dangerous. But alarmist Daily Mail headlines like this genuine one, Trendy Quartz Kitchen Worktops, are fueling a resurgence of the world's oldest occupational disease among stonemasons that can lead to chest infections and lung cancer. Well, that doesn't help consumer confidence, does it? So last week I went off to the Excel Centre in London to visit the Natural Stone Show and the Hard Surfaces Show, where I caught up with Andy Phillips, who is the Director of Fabricator Affordable Granite in Surrey, as well as being one of the founders of the Worktop Fabricators Federation. So as you can imagine, they have a lot to say about stone, silicosis, and how much retailers do or don't understand. But first... Do you want to receive all the latest news, opinion, analysis and features from KBB Review twice a week? Of course you do. You're only human. You can subscribe to our newsletter and get it all delivered straight to your inbox for free. If you already get it, then well done you. But why not sign up everyone else in your business and beyond? Go on, they'll be forever in your debt. Simply go to kbbreview.com forward slash subscribe. So my name is Andy Phillips. I'm the Managing Director of Affordable Granite, which is a stone fabricator in the south of England. I've also um, one of the founder directors of the Worktop Fabricators Federation. Okay, so your job is you're cutting the worktops up. The kitchen and bathroom guys have specified for their projects. I mean, that's how fabrication works. And obviously, a lot of them will have their fabricators that they deal with frequently for their jobs. Bit of an overview here, I, I guess, but how is the market for you at the moment? How is it looking given all the uncertainty that's going on? Give us an overview of that market for you. Well, it's quite interesting. I think we exist in a bit of a bubble down in Surrey and I'm very heavily exposed to the retail and small kitchen companies market. And we've certainly noticed the last few months it's becoming much more nervous out there. Um, we're seeing a lot of our kitchen studios this year have been struggling to get good quality inquiries coming through. And the pattern of quotations has actually changed a little bit. So I think everybody's very nervous. We're seeing a lot of people actually looking to try to economise. We're seeing a lot of rise up in people trying to renovate rather than replace and work with existing layouts and compromise their designs based on there. So we're seeing some of that as well. And are you seeing economising in the materials that are being used as well? Yes, in a lot, number of cases. There's two ends to the market. Some of the imports and materials that are coming in are turning it into quite a commodities market out there. And there's people that are taking the time and effort to try and shop for the absolute cheapest solution. 
So if there's a cheap copy of something that has actually been developed by somebody else, then they'll quite happily specify it and put it in because it looks the same. Now, it might not have exactly the same components. They might not have had the time and effort to produce it, but we're seeing a lot of that going on out there in the marketplace. But there's also an element now where we're seeing people saying, well, actually, I just want what I want. And therefore, they're going out and specifying some fairly high-end exotic materials that are much more challenging to work with. And uh, there's both ends of the market are actually happening at the moment. Realistically, we're seeing less people that are flexible on what they want. You know, they want what they want and they know what they want to pay. And that's what we've got to do. I mean, the kind of materials that you're dealing with are very complicated. They are natural materials, a lot of them. They are engineered variations of them. When it comes to kitchen and bathroom retailers and designers that you deal with, do you think their knowledge of all these different materials and ways of working is high? Do they understand what they're dealing with and what they're working with, do you think? I think that varies a lot with experience. Quite often people are limited just by what colour they like the look of and what they think is an aesthetic that's going to work with them. So what will go well with my doors or what will go well with all of here? 75% of what we're doing at the moment in the UK seems to be mainly quartz, uh, engineered stone, you know. And, uh, you know, that's because it's an engineered product, then it can look pretty much like what they want it to look like. And mechanically, it's very stable. So people have got very used to working with quartz. But the emerging markets for ceramics and for natural stones and things like that, people have sort of lost the understanding of what's different about them. So if you've got somebody that's been around for a long time, typically what happens is a fabricator will work with their own kitchen designer studios and they'll have a dialogue about, okay, can this be done with this material, whatever. And more of that that can happen, the better. And what is the state of expertise in this market? That sounds very insulting. I don't mean to be. Mm. What I mean is, I suppose anyone could call themselves a fabricator, can't they? So do you find that you're coming up against lots of people who really don't know what they're doing when it comes to, to cutting these kind of things out? Or is that level of knowledge quite comfortable for you with who's out there doing the jobs? Yeah, I think it's an interesting question because what you find is that if people have been, a lot of people have actually grown up in the last five, seven years that have started up businesses, they've been fitting for some other company and then they've started up their own small fabrication business somewhere. And they've only ever processed one type of material. They've only ever processed engineered stones. Mm. And so they don't have the experience really to know what else is out there. Um, and certainly if you then hand them a fragile quartzite or a, uh, or a natural stone, they won't understand the design implications or whatever. And so you end up with them breaking something on site or something not being possible to be made or something else like that. So there's certainly a level of experience that we need to build back into the industry to get this out there. And to also understand there is no one perfect material for making a kitchen worktop from. No matter what you're going to be using, it's always going to have pros and cons. And it's being able to educate the customer to set their expectations at a level that say, this is going to be okay, but... I've got to be careful of this, or this is this is brilliant for this, but not so good for that. And and it being able to it lead your customer through there, that means they're more likely to be satisfied at the end of the process. And do you think I mean, obviously there's always lots of variations, isn't it? But do you think on the whole that the the guys designing the kitchens or the bathrooms that use this kind of material as well, do you think they have that knowledge and they are explaining it to their customers well? No, I don't think they do in general. A lot of them, there's an awful lot of information to assimilate. If you want to be a kitchen designer, you've got to be an expert in not only the the cabinetry and the products that you're selling, but you've also got to be an expert in mechanical design. You've got to be an expert in uh, electrical engineering. You've got to understand how flows work. You've got to understand all the various electrical products and. And the stone really is 
quite a small element of what you've got to understand. So quite often they'll go with what they know. They'll go with what they sold before. And it's only when they are challenged to do something different that they'll then specify something different. And I think that's what's happened. You can see that with the trend in the marketplace with the growth of certain colours and certain designs because that's what they always works. It sells. And basically a lot of people in a difficult marketplace will sell what they know. And I'm sure we're seeing an awful lot of that. But there's much more of a demand now for people to, they're much more design conscious as to what they want to do. They're influenced a lot by uh, natural trends and what's uh, environmental concerns or design concerns or aesthetics or all these other things. And actually they're challenging the designers a lot more to do something a little unusual, a bit more bespoke. I don't want to be like my neighbours. And that's the point at which it's essential that you actually have a dialogue with somebody who's been around for a long time and can say, yes, well, you might not have dealt with that before, but we know somebody who has, and this is what you've got to think about. You must spend your life just telling people never to drink red wine or something, presumably. Well, not necessarily. We, t- we spend our life telling people don't leave the red wine on the surface for a, a long time afterwards. But what we do say to people is, OK, if you're a wine drinker, then you might want to consider this rather than this product. Or if you are going to buy this, then make sure that you get the appropriate treatments that are going to look after it and then follow the instructions on there. And, and it's important not to skimp on these kind of things. But a lot of the stuff that we do is basically teaching people how to clean, which is very frustrating. So let's move on to something that's a little bit more controversial within this market. It's an ongoing issue that is probably back in the headlines a little bit lately because back in the spring uh, in Australia, and this is what brought it back to the front uh, of everyone's mind again, they, there was sort of discussion about the ban or severe restriction of engineered stone because of the problems of silicosis. Now, let's talk a, li- a little bit about what silicosis actually is. So you give us a definition of it because I'm sure you, you understand this much better than I do. Well, I'm not a doctor, so I've learned what I've learned as a, as a director of a company that's responsible for cutting materials that have it. But silicosis basically is where very, very fine particles of silica pass through the lining of the lungs and actually get embedded in the lungs and the body can't digest them and process them and they therefore sit there and your body rejects them and as part of that you can develop some rather nasty diseases. Silicosis is a terrible thing if you do catch it because it's incurable and you will lose your respirable function and that's no way to, to live awful disease but it is very specific in how you can get it for example i read one in the daily mail which let's not get into the daily mail too much they were literally talking about the killer work tops in your home which is clearly insane but so let's just set the record straight on it It, this is about people who are cutting the stone in the workshop this is not about the the material being in your house or the designer laying it in their house is it this is very specifically about how you cut the stone very exactly. So basically what you've got, with as with any material, it's not going to degrade in your kitchen. You're not going to start releasing silica. It's not going to break down in, inside your house at all. It's basically when you're cutting, when you're manufacturing it, that's the point at which you're breaking the stone up into small pieces because you are cutting through it in some way or the other. And it's at that point that the silica gets released. And there's silica in engineered stones in various degrees, depending on who the manufacturers are. But there's silica in naturally occurring in all, all types of rocks. It's very rare to find a material that has any kind of stone-like element to it that doesn't contain some percentage of crystalline silica. As with all these things, there's a scale of crystalline silica that is safe. So below a certain level, the percentage chances of you developing silicosis if you're ingesting at that level is infinitesimally small. So therefore, it's not worth worrying about. 
And the HSE set guidelines that say, um, you know, if you're working in an environment that generates so much silica dust in a day that's respirable of a certain particle size, then that's where the problems start to come. It's a very long answer to a simple question, which is, no, it's not. Uh, your quartz worktops in your house are not going to kill you. They are going to support your appliances. They're going to look pretty and they may get dirty and you may need to clean them but they're certainly not going to make you develop silicosis. But clearly that kind of hyperbole does not help you in your, in your business of trying to, trying to operate safely. Yeah, I mean, it certainly sells newspapers, but it, as with all things with the tabloid press, they, they're more interested in selling newspapers than actually helping the industry. However, one thing it does do is it does educate customers to ask the question. And actually, as far as I'm concerned, with my professional fabricator's hat on, is a question that I think needs to be asked of people because there are many different ways of getting around this problem and you've got to manage the risks and you've got to understand the risks. And if you don't, if you can't answer the question, then you shouldn't really be cutting the stone. So give me an idea of the kind of safety measures and precautions you have in your workshop. So there's several ways that you can get around it. The, the easiest way to do it is just not to cut anything that contains crystalline silica. But the problem is that any stone-based products that we're using, especially the populous ones that are being specified for us and that work very well as worktops, they all contain some. So what you've got to do is manage the risk. So the, the most effective way to control crystalline silica is to use water suppression and automation, if you possibly can, so as effectively there's no person near to where it's happening. Uh, if there is a person near to where it's happening, then you also want to have some kind of exhaust ventilation if you can get it to suck any small particles of that away and wear the appropriate respiration protection RPE. So some kind of mask that's rated and tested to actually protect your workers. So there's various levels that you can go to. A not inconsiderable level of investment from you as the business owner. Yeah, absolutely. So if, for example, if you want to go for an automated system, which is the best way to handle it, then you're looking at many tens of thousands of pounds of investment that you've got to make on there and you've got to keep keep that machine up and running. So you can spend a hundred thousand pounds, no problems at all on a machine that will actually help to manage that risk. But there's only so many people that can afford to do that. And actually they take a lot of space. You need to have a water treatment plant necessarily to keep them working. You've got to have the right power. You've got to have a number of things in place. So as a federation, we basically say to people, OK, well, we're going to help you to do everything you possibly can. So you might not be able to afford this machine, but you should definitely use water suppression. You, know, you should definitely look at getting your water wall installed. And, and if you can get a better one, you know, or these kind of things are always useful. But yes, one of the major issues facing fabricators at the moment is the fact that the market is becoming a race to the cheapest because the margins for the actual fabricator are becoming squeezed all the time. We've got a number of things on our shoulders. But if you've got to be able to invest in a machine, then you actually need to have enough capital left in the business to run it. If you continually just work with a hand tool in the back of a van, then you're not going to be able to make that investment to get the levels down to the level we really want to so given that, I mean, obviously the way you operate is absolutely uh, fully compliant with everything that needs to be. Do you have any idea of the scale of the of the problem for those that aren't compliant? No, I think the problem is that there isn't really a register of stonemasons that's out there. Um, you know, you can guess at how many hundreds or thousands there are out there. 
And also because it's not a reportable disease, there's no real statistics out there in the marketplace. My understanding, you know, based on the uh, communications, is that it's not a tremendous problem in the UK. The, the problem in Australia was primarily caused because they had a culture of cutting in a very dusty workshops with no control, no suppression. And so there was an almost macho culture which just said, don't worry about it, it's just a bit of dust. And so because they didn't take it seriously, then it's created a huge problem here. I think in general, people are a lot more uh, educated. And certainly these days, everybody that I speak to understands the problem, at least, and is trying to do something about it. Well, let's talk about Australia, because there are some countries that are taking this very seriously. As you say, it's tied down to a, a different culture of the way they work. In Australia, they they are really talking about, they've used the word bans. I'm sure it won't ever come to that, but, but there's certainly some restrictions on things. And there's a level of scaremongering around it, I suppose, in that, mm. that, that, again, it's happening on the other side of the world, but it doesn't help you in your business over here because it makes people ask questions or, or have suspicions about the safety of the material itself as opposed to just how it is fabricated. Yeah, well, I think that it's interesting. Australia is going through this process, and again, the fact that certain uh, tabloid media and certain uh, channels have got hold of it, they've turned it into a hype issue, which is never a good way to manage anything. But I'm sort of keeping half an eye on it to sort of see what's happening. And my understanding is that there's actually a licensing scheme being put into place where the states, they're not going to ban the products, but they're going to basically make sure that if you are going to process it, then you must be a licensed fabricator. Mm. And uh, if you can get that kind of control in place, it's a really good thing from my perspective, because it can handle it safely and having some kind of licensing mechanism would make a lot of sense. So whether that has to be through some enforceable operation or whether it can be an industry-led thing is something that's evolving in Australia and it was something that evolved here. And you would welcome that over here, would you? Well, welcome it to a certain extent. I never welcome too much regulation because the problem is it's always out of date. Mm. So for me, light touch is always a better thing to do. I'd certainly welcome people understanding the issue and um, some kind of understanding for what a reasonable benchmark is would be very useful. But the the thing I would welcome is people actually moving towards an improvement in the situation. You know, you're never going to be able to reduce all risks to zero, but being able to do what you can is going to be a good thing. I'd also welcome some innovation in some of the tooling that can come out on there, because if there is some kind of legislatory push on here, then maybe that we'll be able to get some different machineries that we can actually then start to use that's going to be very cost effective or very effective in certain environments that's not difficult to hold or whatever. So in my experience of these things is formal legislative drives only come in when the industry hasn't been able to sort it out for themselves. So obviously that's a big part of your involvement with the Worktop Federation is to try and push through some of these uh, instructions, guidelines, whatever you want to call them, across the, the industry before anybody else makes you. Yeah, well, that's it. I mean, it's, 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 pushing out is probably a too strong a phrase. I mean, we're very much about trying to understand what is best practice and what's possible. So uh, we're certainly not about enforcing people and saying you're not good enough to be doing this. But certainly understanding how one company has actually managed to achieve achieve a safe level of working in their environment and then look at another company that's achieved exactly the same result but in a completely different environment. That's really what we're interested in is how do we then share best practice and actually get people to aspire to follow each of those. And in my experience, the the compliant companies are very happy to share their knowledge on, on all of this. You just have to get people talking to each other. So just to conclude here, I guess your advice to 
kitchen bathroom retailers designers uh, is to ask questions of their fabricators to see where they what their standing is on this kind of issue. I guess. Yeah, absolutely. And certainly with the new materials that are coming out with uh, a lot of the porcelains and ceramics, there's, uh, it's very important that you understand exactly what you're dealing with. Some of the carcassing, for example, that's out there, uh, the designs with huge 1,000, 1.2 metre wide cabinetry, for example, with a draw pack, looks amazing for storing your drawers. But if you try and balance a piece of six millimeter thick ceramic on top of it without any other kind of support, then there's potential for a problem. So it's not just a matter of talking to your fabricator, but you've also got to talk to your installers. You've got to speak to the builder and understand what the floor's made of, that it's all in here, and trying to understand holistically what the whole process is. So as you can make sure that your uh, the worktops can be installed, they can be supported, you can get your appliances into them in a and they're going to operate, they're going to be compliant. You've got enough space between things to actually comply with the regulations. All of these levels of experience are essential. So speak to your fabricators, definitely. And especially if you're working with stone you've never used before, speak to either your fabricator or if, if your fabricator doesn't understand it, by all means, call up one of the members of the Worktop Fabricators Federation. We're not interested in poaching business from each other. But we can certainly advise you as to what you, the risks are that you've got to look at. And we've also got a, a guide on our website you can look at if you're interested in materials. You can actually look at the QR code and understand, well, what is the difference between engineered stone, between natural stones and ceramics and porcelains and sintered stones? And what can you do with those? And hopefully we can all design for success. Well, Candy, thank you so much for your time. It's so interesting. It's a, it's an area that you know I've read a lot about, but I've never really sat down and talked to somebody who knows about it as much as you do. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you. That was Andy Phillips from Affordable Granite in Surrey and the Worktop Fabricators Federation. Now, obviously, we're talking about all the safety measures and the rules and regulations in place about protecting people in the workplace against silicosis. Now, the responsibility for that, as you'd imagine, comes down to the Health and Safety Executive, or HSE. So, as I said at the beginning, I was talking to Andy Phillips at the Natural Stone Show in London. And while I was there, I also managed to corner Natalie Tinsley from the Health and Safety Executive to see what she thinks about this. And most importantly, is there any chance of a ban in this country? I am Natalie Tinsley. I'm an inspector with HSE and I'm the sector lead for stone, brick, glass and concrete. Okay, so give us an idea, Natalie, of how big an issue and a problem silicosis is in this country. Silicosis is is not a reportable disease under RIDO, but we know it occurs because of uh, voluntary data from GPs and doctors who diagnose it, consultants. And it is a big problem together with other diseases that you can get from being exposed to respirable crystalline silica. So your experience is you go around to fabricators that actually deal with this stuff, that cut the stuff. Can you estimate in any way how many people are aware of this? Is this something that you have to educate people on or is this something that you catch them out on that they already know about? I think there is still a lack of like a lack of awareness on it. There are some companies who do comply with the law and we, we do see those as well. But there's definitely still a job to do with uh, making people aware. And it's the job of a, a company and the job of the company director to educate themselves on what they need to do to comply with the law and also educate their employees on why they're doing it and what the effects could be if they don't. 
Now, the medical of, you know, outcomes of this are you know, horrible. Yeah. But what are the potential punitive elements of this that catch somebody not complying with, with, with your regulations? What could happen to them? So if somebody doesn't comply with the regulations, there's different levels of enforcement that we could take depending on the seriousness depending on on if somebody's had previous advice on the matter, we can give you verbal advice. We can write you a letter. The next step up from that would be notices. So if there is an immediate risk to health or safety, we can give you a prohibition notice. And that states that that activity must stop immediately. The alternative is where there's not an immediate risk, but there is enough of a breach to warrant a notice. And that is an improvement notice. So you'd get a minimum of three weeks to improve the matter that we've given you the notice on. And the next step up from that is a prosecution. Now, how closely are you monitoring what happens in other countries about this? Because obviously Australia is the one that's in the headlines at the moment. And they're talking, I mean, I saw one report that called it an epidemic, right? So they're talking about potential bans or potentially restrictions on things. We're obviously nowhere near that, given the way you're talking about it. But you know, how close are you monitoring that? And do you think that their response to it is a little over the top or about right? What do you think? I think the responses to it are right. You know, it's a serious risk. Um, companies need to manage this. And yeah, we are monitoring. We work with different, you know, our uh, equivalents. We work with those and other people in those other countries. So we definitely keep abreast of, of what's going on and keep aware, yeah. But your basic guidelines are, for the record here, I suppose, that stick to the rules and it's perfectly safe. It's I wouldn't mostly say safe. that. <laughs> it, is a, it is a substance hazardous to health. Yeah. So if you can, the top of the control hierarchy, to use, use an alternative. So if you can do what you're doing without exposing your employees to crystalline silica, then that is what you should do. If you can't do what you're doing without exposing them, then you need to follow that control hierarchy. Can you see a point in this country where we'd ever get anywhere near banning this kind of stuff? I don't think that's for me to comment, really. There are other countries that you've seen in the news from being banned, but sometimes you need to look and see if it's a complete ban or not. Um, but there are there are companies that are working on um, you know things like things like producing engineered stone that has less of a silica content, so it's less of a risk. And I think that that's the way that the, the country's going at the moment. Okay, look, Natalie, thank you so much for your time. I know you're very busy, so thanks for for talking thank to us. Thank you. That was Natalie Tinsley from the Health and Safety Executive. And I think it comes across strongly there that this is an issue they take very seriously. But reassuringly, it's one that they're making every effort to work on as closely as possible with the industry. And any kind of Australia-style controversy or bans sounds pretty unlikely. Don't forget that you can subscribe to our KBB Review newsletter and get it all delivered straight to your inbox for free. And if you already get it, then make sure you get all your colleagues to sign up too. Simply go to kbbreview.com forward slash subscribe. See you next time.